Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I am once again joined by Janine Mercer of the Odd Entity Podcast. Now, if you tuned in last week, you'll know that Janine was on the show then, and this is a part two. So, you know, be sure to go back and check out part one if you haven't already. If you haven't, no worries. It's still a great chat anyway. Um, Just before we get started, I'll give a brief overview of what's to come. There'll be a quick promo and then the chat will get straight into it. So just to come in this episode, there's uh, health and finite living, uh, dealing with the deaths of people we've sort of known and friends and family, that sort of thing. And we speak about passing on stories, uh, talk about the difference between folklore and urban legends, and then we basically finish up with a talk about horror stories and special effects Uh, there's a lot more in between that but they're the key points don't want to kind of bore you with all the details at the start so um, yeah the promo is going to be from uh, games my mum found podcast there's a link to them in the description be sure to go check those guys out and that's about it from me so you know check in right at the end and i'll give a bit more detail of what's to come in future episodes a bit more of a rambly messy thing of certain stuff to come um but yeah check us out on social media subscribe in all the usual places share if you think it deserves it and um yeah i'll chat with you guys at the end do you like podcasts of course you do you're listening to one right now are you a fan of retro video games Are you a fan of listening to a bunch of weirdos complain about great games from our past? Well, we've got the show for you. It's called Games My Mom Found. We are a retro video game podcast where each week we grab a different guest and dive into a game. Some are great, some not so much. We'd love for you to take a listen and join our hilarious antics. You can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Probably the same place you found the amazing show you're currently listening to. We'd love for you to tune in to Games My Mom Found. New episodes up every Monday. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. A friend of mine, actually a good friend who's also been on the podcast. Everyone I care about has been the podcast. Not really. But um, my friend, his name's Callum, he's um, he's actually had swine flu. And uh, he oh, wow. actually missed one of his... Uh, school exams because he was ill with it uh so like he he joked about it like quite soon after he was like um, don't worry guys i'm all better but i could have died like laughing like, dude it's like we know like you were off school for like a long time like i'm glad he's like finding sort of it, it's one of those weird things with sort of death isn't it with being morbid in, in a sort of way and obviously there's a degree of being you know very um you know, being very pessimistic and cynical and being like a nihilist and saying everything's pointless and everyone's going to die anyway all the time. And that's a bit much, but healthily discussing that one of the things that makes life beautiful is the fact that it doesn't last forever. You know, you watch right. any animals, any you know, trees are just a big cycle of life, aren't they? It's just this big cycle, mm-hmm. all kinds of things in nature is just a cycle. And it's like, well, even if you don't believe anything comes after uh, when one dies, it's still a case of, well, you've still got your sort of, life to go but you you will eventually die like that's what one thing everyone's gonna happen right. and some people get really really uncomfortable talking about the fact that people are gonna die and i find that mm. obviously in, in your show it comes up a or sort of a fair amount so <laughs> did you find there was like anything that kind of have you always been okay with it or was there like sort of like with me it was obviously my dad passing away you know my family <laughs> my nan passed away then the year later my dad then the year later my uncle so it was quite a big thing yeah. when i was like 18 yeah. 19 so it was like that I came, it came to grips with it quite quickly. So, it was there anything in your life without trying to delve too deep into your personal life of any family <laughs> members? That, but you know, what I mean, like, have you always had that sort of more chilled perspective on on it, or has it been like was there an event that kind of caused it? Um, I mean, I I feel like I've always just kind of been that kind of person who 
just feels like when the time is here, it's here. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of it. Um, I obviously have the choice. I can exercise and live healthily and do whatever to kind of postpone the inevitable, but I'm not going to live forever. The people that are close to me are not going to live forever. My wife is not going to live forever. You know, the, the ridiculous animals, the furry babies that we have are not going to live forever. You know, I mean, it's just that that is life. And for me, I think life has always just kind of meant death. <laughs> I know that that sounds like super duper morbid um, and <laughs> makes me sound a little crazy, but I've always been fascinated by the concept that, you know, the minute that we are born, we begin to die. And that's just, I mean, it's just the way that it is. And it's just something that it's going to come. I mean, like I said, I I can eat all the green vegetables I want and exercise every day, but that's not going to keep me from getting hit by a city bus as I'm crossing the street one day or being crushed by, you know, a jet engine from an airplane. (laughs) Um, You know, it's, it's not going to help me with that. I, I guess I've always been kind of a firm believer that we have our time on this earth and it is finite and you kind of do as much as you can and you try not to have too terribly much unfinished business because I feel like that was the premise of the movie, the Frighteners with Michael J. Fox. (laughs) So you don't want any of that shit. You want to kind of definitely don't, (laughs) you want to do the karaoke and the skydiving and the, what, you know, eat the hottest chili in the world and just do all of that shit because ultimately, you know, the end is going to, I mean, we're, we're going to get there. Um, and for some of us, for example, I had a, had a cousin who, um, passed away. Oh God, like three years ago, maybe. Um, she was very, very young and she started a chain of lemonade stands because she was trying to fund, um, children who had gone through chemo. Oh, okay. Uh, so that they could go to like Disney world and like have, you know, like do fun things. And, uh, she passed away, like I said, about three years ago. and. You know, I mean, she was, I think she was 12. So, I mean, was her purpose in life to be born and get cancer and then start a whole bunch of lemonade stands to make a whole bunch of other people happy and then be done? You know, like, what is what is our purpose? You know, we, we don't really know. We just kind of do the best we can. And I think that that's the whole point of life. You just, you know, you do the best you can. And I think, I feel like as I've gotten older, I've just kind of, I don't know if come to terms with it is the right terminology, but like my mother passed away like four years ago, three or four years ago, I lost uh, my uncle Leo, who was, he was on the older side and he had diabetes and it was, you know, it was a thing. I mean, it's expected, you know, after a while you just, you get old and you run out of time. Um, But I mean, I, I've been, I've been very lucky so far that a lot of the people in my life, I, I haven't experienced direct, like direct loss. Hmm. Like, you know, my uncle Leo, well, he was a great uncle. So, I mean, when your great uncle dies, you, you mourn and you feel bad and whatever, but I didn't really know him all that well. And, you know, he was my grandmother's brother and you know what, and you, you kind of have that, it's almost like a buffer or a removal. Hmm. So you don't really get that. Yeah. Um, when my mom died, she had um, several different kinds of cancer and she also had uh, bipolar disorder before they knew what it was. But I mean, we were 22 years estranged. We hadn't seen each other in 22 years. Hmm. And so when she passed away, I was like, well, how am I supposed to 
feel about that. You know, yeah. I, I don't really know where to go with that. And I, it's funny because when you're that far removed from somebody, you don't, it's almost like you don't have the baggage, but you mm. feel like you should, Yeah. you know, it's, it's just kind of, it's heavy, but it's not, it's almost like it's not on you. Like there's somebody, you know, you're, you're at the train station and there's somebody running behind you with bags saying, excuse me, miss, excuse me, miss, this is your baggage. You know, <laughs> like you're supposed to, you know, be carrying this and you're just oblivious, almost oblivious to it. Um, mm. And it's very, very strange, but, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've been lucky in the way that like my grandmother now is um, she's almost 90. My grandfather is almost 90. I mean, you know, they're, they're getting up there. My father is, I believe, 65, 66. Um, my stepmother is still, you know, fairly young. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's not necessarily something that's going to come super soon, but you don't know when that gen engine is going to come. Well, yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> so it's just really like you just kind of you take it day by day and and whatever. It's almost like a generational thing as well, isn't it? Is like as you go, well, as one goes through sort of most parts in their life in a, in a standard and air quote sort mm. of way. If if no freak accidents happen, everyone just kind of does the nice thing of dying of old age. It is a right. part of you know when you're young and you're a teenager, going from teenager to sort of a young adult. Often that's depending on how old your family is. Either it's sort of grandparents or often great grandparents. It's that sort of thing. And then as you get to your sort of thirties to forties, then it can be sort of then the sort of next level of family aunties and uncles potentially that sort of thing right. and obviously when you get to your 60s 70s 80s then you grab your parents and that mm-hmm. that general sort of scope of things and it's it's one thing that you kind of even when you're younger if you have pets and things and you have like a, you know, a rabbit or uh, like a guinea pig or something like that what's a guinea pig hamsters only live a few years mm-hmm. you come to terms with that sort of thing more more quickly but as you say it's not as a it's like easing you into it, you know, when certain, right. f- for most people, either the parents or siblings, if, if you know, depending on the age of the siblings, if your parents or siblings pass away and they are very close to you, that hits you very hard compared to, mm. as you say, if you're, you know, one of my uh, you know, great aunties passed away. So uh, that, that's obviously a shame. That's uh, sad, but unless yeah, right. I had a real connection with her, right. I can't be unbelievably grieving stricken, but for every loss of people. So it is a strange thing is as you sort of get older, it's different people, not being there, it becomes a different thing. And are you saying where you feel you kind of feel like you should feel bad for it, but right. in in a really almost cynical way of saying things, it's like almost in a sense like people do kind of pass away every day, and it's like if you don't have that that feeling, regardless of the past of that person, it can be almost like well. A lot of people die. It's just part of life. Everyone can kind of get over right. it. If you don't feel bad about this one individual person as much as you feel like you should have, it it's not a, it's not the end of the world. You know, it's it's kind of a it's how you deal with whichever aspect of things that happen when people pass away and stuff. Well, right, and you know, like you said um, uh, uh, regarding age, I mean, I feel like you know, for example, um, my aunt Margaret passed away, and you'll love this. Uh, she <laughs> was like a carbon copy of the Queen. Oh, nice. Yeah. She looked just like Queen Elizabeth. It was hilarious. And she was like four and a half feet tall. <laughs> she was an amazing woman. Um, and she lived an amazing life. She um, adopted like 13 children. Plus she had like four of her own. And all of these children had birth defects or something that had to, they had to be hospitalized for. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, when you say someone is a saint, like <laughs> my Aunt Marg was a saint. Like the mm-hmm. woman was a saint. Immediately sounds like one. I mean, she just took her whole life and kind of put it on the back burner and raised these children as her own. 
And I mean, even, you know, she passed away, I think two years ago now, but I mean, her, her children that she had adopted, they would still come back with their families and visit her and whatever. But the thing that I find really interesting about my Aunt Margaret is she passed away and I wasn't, she was like 98 years old. Oh, wow. And I was not like soup, like inconsolable about it. And I thought I would be. But the interesting thing about it is I think as we get older, we kind of, we create narratives. I mean, we create narratives anyway, because human beings are narrative animals and whatever. And this is my communication background and yada, 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 bullshit, bullshit. Feel free to cut this out. Um, But but we have the tendency to create stories to not only remember, you know, events, whatever, but to remember people by. Mm. And so for me, it's not, oh yeah, well, you know, my Aunt Marg passed away two years ago and um, she had pneumonia and she wasn't able to kick it and she just passed away. It's, oh yeah, you know, my Aunt Margaret, she raised these 13 kids as her own and she was an amazing person and she was only like four and a half feet tall and she was like superhero and you know, whatever. And this is the story that sticks with me, not the, she died and this is, you know, the circumstances surrounding her death. It's not the obituary, mm-hmm. just that straightforward obit in a shitty newspaper. It's everything <laughs> that came before that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like life as you get older is more about the journey than it is about the stop. And in mm-hmm. some cases, the sudden stop. <laughs> more exciting stuff i want to be like blow up and explosion of confetti yeah, right. a thousand fireworks that'd be a cool way to die well, like, i mean just... i i think that you know and i only use the example of a jet engine falling on her head because that show death becomes me i don't know if you remember that show but it was a hilarious show i vaguely on... know of it but i can't say i've seen it yeah afraid. she she becomes this like 12 year old girl becomes a grim reaper Oh, wow. And she dies because a jet engine falls on her head or something. Oh, I see. Oh, no, no. You know what? It's a toilet seat. Never mind. I was thinking of Donnie Darko. Still, it... Oh, Donnie Darko was really good, too. I think Um, that's what... I think he dies from a... Oh, is it a jet... Yep, that's... Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm getting my wires crossed. Um, (laughs) Let's continue. Sorry. Yeah, so... So, yeah, I mean, I, I keep using this analogy because that's... I mean, to me, that's the sudden stop. You know, like... This is where your elevator stops. I'm sorry. Everybody has to get out. There are no more floors. You are done. And for me, I don't know. I guess I I collect the narratives that I need. And I think as I've gotten older, I've become kind of a, um, a narrative resurrectionist where I take these narratives and I tell them to other people. And then those other people tell them to other people. And it, so it's almost like these people live on through the stories that you're telling, which hmm. I think is kind of cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's beautiful. That's how many tribes, uh, especially the indigenous tribes for centuries, if not longer, used to spread things, wasn't it? Apart from certain uh, tribes doing sort of cave paintings and things like that, generally it was stories and legends. I mean, you know, regardless of one sort of uh, stance on religion or anything like that, it's religion is just stories. I mean, obviously most of them have, have, if not all of them have doctrine, uh, you know, specific things that are written down. But there was a point before that where they were, they were just spoken and for you know many years a lot of the religions before they were written in text could be translated or these sorts sure. of things it was spoken through stories and throughout human existence stories is a, a big thing of people you know you tell children bedtime stories before they go to bed you know everyone watches movies and reads books well everyone should read books but not as many people read books as they should uh, <laughs> right. but you know there's books and uh, stories movies and people just even podcasts making such a resurgence you know audio dramas and things like that and audiobooks yeah. even just people 
throughout history, one of my favorite things about going to museums and seeing sort of, you know, uh, from the style of like, you know, you go old Chinese, like uh, tapestries and things like that from like Eastern culture, you know, Japan and China and all the sort of uh, that side of the world. And then you go sort of, you flip it and you go to, you know, sort of certain places in Europe sort of really, really old. And you can go to like the Vikings, things like that. And you, you can kind of dot around, but everywhere right. has got that consistent storytelling element mm-hmm. with, and obviously the Greeks, so vases and things, that's one of the very famous thing, you know, where the, all the uh, designs on them. You have all right. the storytelling elements that have always been going on throughout history, but every culture has their own style in, in a sense of, of telling the stories. And I think it's, it's just amazing when you go back and just see how similar people were to how they are now in so many intricate ways, but we've just kind of added layers of complication between them. Right. Yeah. And I mean, in, in my culture, I mean, that's, that's how we relay the information that we want to relay. We do it through story or we do it through song. Mm. Um, and I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of stories and songs that in Newfoundland culture are, they're not written down, <laughs> you know, people just are told what the story is by a member of their family. And then that story is transmitted through you know, around a campfire or in front of a wood stove. And then you have that story and it's something that you can keep with you until you decide to transfer it to somebody else. And I mean, that's, that's very true of um, folk fiction as well. I, I write a fair bit of folk fiction. Um, and a lot of my folk fiction basically hinges on all of these small outpour communities in Newfoundland that have maybe like, you know, 200 people living in them. And you know, it's, it's, they're generally set like back in the quote unquote, the olden days. Mm. Um, so like maybe Victorian era, but it, you know, they, they talk about the, the way life is and the superstitions and the way that physicians practiced and the way that, you know, for certain things you would rather go to, you know, a, a, a midwife than have a doctor deliver your baby, you know, because the midwife has done it, you know, more effectively than the doctor ever could and whatever. You know, even something as simple as like, if you have rheumatism, you carry a potato around in your pocket and that's supposed <laughs> to prevent rheumatism. Oh, wow. Um, if you um, have trouble sleeping, you go to the grave of a pious man and you get a pebble from his grave and you stick it under your tongue and that's supposed to help you sleep. I mean, there's, there's just all of these little idiosyncrasies that mm. come together to make a culture and turn that culture into folklore. Yeah. I mean, one of the strange things uh, that I find with, you know, I'm, I'm an individual who, uh, you know, with sort of supernatural things, that's not specifically folklore, but, you know, obviously a lot of folklore, it's wrapped up in a lot of these supernatural things and stuff like that. But it's, it's one of those things where with one thing I do not subscribe to is the concept of like luck, like whether or not it's a good Mm -hmm. luck or bad luck. I've got no problem with people who do believe things are lucky or unlucky. (laughs) That's not a problem, but just, I generally don't believe in, luck or good luck and one of the things i kind of if i have an argument with someone about it which i try not to do um, but if i do end up having a discussion or something about uh, luck or something with someone one example i bring up which is an interesting it links in with folklore is 
with black cats, the strange thing is obviously in a lot of the Western cultures, they're bad luck, but in the Eastern cultures, they're more good luck. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very interesting idea. Like I'm not going to get into the argument of, of luck or things obviously on this podcast. Anyone can believe whatever they want really. Um, but that sort of just interesting part of sort of intertwined with both luck and folklore is that mm. when you look into a lot of these things that people believed caused uh, bad luck and things, a lot of it is to do with part of the folklore or because a lot of the bad luck with black cats is the sort of the witches and things. And that's, one of the associates which i'm sure you know a lot a lot of these sort of things about but it is interesting that folklore in that sort of regard can shape something as uh ambiguous as luck it's it, it's just a folklore part of you know believing witches uh and trying to you know them having bad, black hats made bad luck and killed our crops and things it's it's just very interesting of that sort of side of folklore and luck i'd say yeah there's a um there's a piece that i recently completed that's a very old folk legend um, I believe it's Irish, um, but it's about a girl who is um, not as attractive as her sister or perceives herself not to be as attractive as her sister. And they're waiting at home one evening in front of the fire and they're doing stitching or whatever women did way back when. <laughs> and um, so there's a knock on the door. And when they open the door, there's this gentleman standing there and all of this finery um, and he's a very attractive man. And he says that he's looking for the supposedly less attractive sister because he wants to invite her to a dance. Well, minutes before she opened the door, her sister had said, well, you know, you're not picky about who you would dance with, right? And she says, no, I would dance with the devil if he'd have me. So then when she opens the door and this well-dressed gentleman is there, he invites her to the dance. They go to the dance. She starts dancing with him and suddenly she realizes that she's actually dancing with the devil. Mm. And then they have to perform this elaborate ritual in order to banish the devil or, or whatever. But I mean, it's like, so what is it? It's, it's a piece of folklore, but what was it designed to do? Well, it was designed to keep women in their place because you don't want women to have all these wild ideas going off and doing anything that they want to do. That's ridiculous. Right? So you say, well, you know, she said that she danced with the devil and all of a sudden the devil was there and she had to dance with him. And, you know, she's a good Christian woman and, you know, religion comes into it and it's, you know, a big thing, you know, folklore generally is, is created. And for the same reason that urban legends are created, um, which is another one of my passions. And how how are, how are urban legends different from folklore? I, I'm not an expert in these things, but what is the well, sort of uh, difference between them? Well, urban legends generally, um, they originate from, if we're talking about folklore, folklore is very, it's almost tactile because folklore is intertwined, and this is just my opinion, but mm -hmm. folklore is intertwined into cultures. And so it has that kind of cultural dynamic um, so if you hear of, you know, the tale of the Wendigo, very popular form of Native American folklore, the same as, you know, wraiths or skinwalkers or, you know, what have you, that's very much entrenched in folklore. An urban legend falls into the category of like a story that you tell to scare somebody around a fire. Mm. And that's basically it. It is what I it see. is on the surface and there's nothing else underneath it. It's almost like a magic trick. You tell somebody a piece of urban legend, um, like, for example, I had this friend. It didn't happen to me. It happened to a friend of a friend of a friend of mine somewhere along the line. There's no credibility in it. Hmm. Um, 
she went home one day to find her dog choking. So she took the dog to the vet. And the vet said, well, there's nothing you can do here. We have to bring the dog into surgery. So you can just go home. So she gets home. She unpacks the car because she stopped for groceries, what have you. She gets up to her door. She unlocks the door, puts groceries down, phone rings. It's the vet. The vet says, you have to get out of your house right now. Immediately, please get out of your house. And the woman protests slightly, but eventually she gives in because the vet seems insistent. So she gets out on the lawn, and two seconds later, the cops swarm in. They go into her house. They go into a back bedroom, into a closet. And there's a guy with a 12-inch butcher knife sitting in the closet, lying in wait. And he's missing two fingers. And that's what the dog was choking on. Oh, wow. Now, that's a fantastic urban legend. Never actually happened. But, you know, you pull the curtain away. <laughs> there's nothing actually there. But mm-hmm. you're, you're riveted. Because you're like, well, wait, I mean, it didn't happen to you, but it happened to somebody you know. So there's credibility there, right? Oh, no, not so much. I mean, it's like the the story of the hook-handed killer. I mean, you had to have heard that one. Yeah, I think I've heard a piece of things yeah, like that, yeah. A rendition of it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, normally it's like a, I think it was like a cog as well. It's like a, you know, someone pulls over because they're lighting or something, and then they someone comes over and the hook scrapes across the door or whatever, or the hook's left there after they die. These sorts of, I've heard several different iterations, as you said, of this general, yeah, someone with a hook stopping by a car, horror teen thing. Yeah, and I mean, the really interesting too between, you know, folklore and urban legend is the fact that, if you tell somebody a piece of folklore, it's, I mean, there's a really good chance that they're not going to know what, what you're telling them or they're not going to understand it. When you relay an urban legend to somebody, they're like, oh my God, that happened to Susan. <laughs> like, they're just like instantly, oh my God, that happened, you know, to, to a friend of mine. Or, mm. oh, I got a chain letter in the mail today that said, you know, or I got an email today that said whatever. And it turns out to be a chain letter, but they believe it because it's like, well, why, why would they lie about this happening? You know, of course, there's a gang initiation where, you know, you go to the gas station late at night and somebody cuts your Achilles tendon and pulls you into the back of the car and steals your car and does terrible things to you. Of course, that's a thing that happens because people are terrible and the world is terrible. <laughs> you know, of course, all of these awful things are going to happen. But folklore is more along the lines of, so this is my culture and this is the story that I'm telling you so that you will understand a part of my culture. And urban legend is like, this is a story I want to tell you because I want to scare the shit out of you. And for no other reason besides that. <laughs> I see. That's a very good way of putting it. I especially liked that uh, story as well. That was incredible. Um, or the urban legend. Um, it was, yeah, because with folklore, I kind of think of it as, it is, as you say, as you described it, it's very much wrapped in the culture because the folklore of just something almost as simple as, you know, uh, forest dwellers. If you think of like folklore when it comes to like going more into the maybe supernatural sort of thing, but you know, you get like fairies and nymphs and sort of tree people and these sort of things and different parts of the world you go through and like fairies are quite a common thing in, you know, folklore across the world, but the different cultures have different iterations of whether or not they're good or bad or what they look like or how they are or what they do. And there's lots of these little things where it's like almost the black cat thing in a sense. It is that sort of, the way you described it does make it a lot more clear that it's, it is much more intertwined into the culture itself. And it's, yeah. Is there any sort of folklore that you have that is like absolute 
some of your favourite folklore, if, if there's any that you'd like to share, because I'd be interested to see what your sort of, what takes your fancy in that sort of realm. Oh, um, I mean, I I am fascinated by anything that involves fairies or the fae. Mm. Um, in Newfoundland culture, it, I mean, the stories of fairies permeate that culture because a lot of the people who live in Newfoundland came over from Ireland. Um, so their their stories and their culture came over with them. The, uh, you know, the, in the outpour communities, um, one thing they used to do was they'd write out Bible verses on little pieces of paper and they'd have them blessed by the priest on Sunday. And then they would take those Bible verses and actually sew them into the linings of children's coats hmm. so that it would protect them against fairy attacks. Right. Um, Another uh, thing that they would do is they would give their children a piece of hardtack. I don't know if you know what hardtack is. Is that, I know what blue tack is, the sort of squidgy sort of material thing. Is that what you mean? Uh, no, it's it's actually, it, it is a bread. Um, but if you don't soak it in something, you can't chew it because it's, right. it's tough. Oh, okay. um, and it comes in just plain hard bread and also comes in a sweet variety. I don't know why because it's awful. Um <laughs> But they would take little pieces of that and put it into the children's pockets and say, so, you know, as you're walking home, if it gets to be a little bit later, you know, don't, whatever you do, don't go in the woods, but, you know, make sure that you sprinkle some of this around you because that will appease the fairies Mm. and then they won't take you. One interesting thing that both folklore and urban legends have in common that I found is in the case of folklore, folklore is often designed to create a sense of fear or urgency. So you tell little Jimmy not to go into the woods because the Fae might get him. It obviously has nothing to do with wild animals or open bodies of water that he could drown in. (laughs) It's all about the fairies. In the case of urban legends, you know, for example, you know, we were discussing the hook-handed killer. That originated um, somewhere around like the 1950s in a Dear Abbey column of all places. Mm. And it was essentially designed to scare kids from, you know, teenagers from going up onto these lovers' lanes and doing inappropriate things in cars. Because obviously, if you're going to go up there and you're going to do those things, then something bad is going to happen to you. So that, I mean, there, there are definitely um, commonalities between the two, um, which I think is probably one of the most interesting things about them. Because one of them is designed for cultural purposes, but then there's this little, you know, and, uh, but also... You know, be careful, you know, late at night or don't go out on the water or, you know, don't go in the woods or whatever. And then you have urban legends that basically say the same thing. I mean, I don't know how many times my grandmother told me not to go in the woods (laughs) because there's bad people in the woods. And of course, the one time I go into the woods, there was a bunch of teenagers in there and I was like 10 years old and they yelled at me and threw things at me. And oh, my God, there's bad people in the woods. I mean, you know, they're they're designed to scare but they're also designed to kind of keep young people in line. Mm, I see, yeah. And keeping in the sort of line of fear and that sort of thing, the sort of the genre, as it were, of sort of horror, is that something that you uh, like to get into when it comes to reading or movies or anything in, in that sort of realm? Um, I do enjoy horror movies. Um, the most recent horror novel that I read was um, Nosferatu by Joe Hill. Is that the really, is that like the one that the original movie was based on or is this a new, new bit? No, no, it's, um, Joe Hill is, uh, Stephen King's son. Oh, okay. Very new then. Um, I see. So he, he's penned a bunch of novels. Um, but, uh, 
yeah, Nosferatu was, I mean, it was the first horror novel that I'd read in a while. I wasn't really super keen on it. It was kind of, it had some interesting elements and the audiobook version was uh, narrated by Kate Mulgrew, who, <laughs> I mean, best captain in Star Trek history, in my opinion, <laughs> fight me on it. I swear to God. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was fantastic when read to me. It was not so fantastic when I was reading it myself. I don't know if that, but yeah, I mean, as far as horror movies are concerned, um, most recently I've been really big into um, all of the older horror movies, like the original Frankenstein, Creature, uh, The Mummy, The Mummy's Curse, The Mummy's Ghost, The Mummy's Mm. Hand, I think was another one. What are some other ones? Uh, Dracula with Bela Lugosi. We actually have a, a character who comes on a station called me TV out of Chicago. His name is Sven Gulli. And uh, he does the kind of the, the same kinds of things that Elvira used to do with movies. Right. So like she'd come in periodically and narrate and like be funny and whatever. And uh, Sven Gulli does basically the same thing, but he shows a lot of these older movies. Mm. And uh, yeah, I've just been really super into it. The the house on haunted Hill. That's my t-shirt. Right oh, now. nice. With Vincent Price, I mean, who who could live their life having not seen a movie with Vincent Price in it? I don't like that's not living. <laughs> that might be me then, because I don't think I've seen a film with Vincent Price in it then, unless I've seen one so, inadvertently. So fantastic. I mean, he's done he's done romantic roles too, but having seen him in all of the creepy roles, now the romantic roles, it's like, oh well, he's gonna do something. Just gonna, <laughs> like he's going to be a serial killer or something. And then it winds up, he just falls in love with the woman and they get married in the end. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> supposed to be like Jeffrey Dahmer, Vincent Price. What the hell happened? But yeah. That's amazing. Cause like I've seen some of the older uh, horror movies and things. It kind of, there's the, you can go, you go back of horror and things and just like a lot of other stuff for culture, you can really see how things sort of change. Cause obviously the amount of reboots of Frankenstein and Wolfman and the mummy, of course, and it's sort of, Every amount of years, like Universal have got their, I think they're starting up like a universe of it as well. And there's like Swamp Thing and like all these, all these things. It's it's so interesting seeing some of the older horror films and what sort of the the ideas of them and how brilliant they were and how obviously with no CGI and very little budget and all that sort of stuff. What they did, I mean, one of the biggest examples. Is, it's not that old, but I think it was one of the cornerstone movies. Is uh, American Wealth in London, just where oh. it's got you know every shot and it was just one little bit added to his face as he's transforming and it's just like that is so resourceful that's just and that's what they did a lot of these older films i mean a lot of them let's be fair look very cheesy now but they are they're brilliant the way that they actually did them at that time it's it's incredibly amazing that they managed to do that i mean yeah and you know when you consider that american werewolf in london i think was shot in maybe three days like (laughs) on a shoestring budget and just i mean yeah it's it's a fantastic film just from a makeup perspective uh that film i think i would probably put it on the same level um if not a little bit higher than Pumpkinhead. i haven't seen Pumpkinhead. yeah Pumpkinhead. that was the guy um oh my god they put this poor bastard in stilts oh and he was like 16 feet high in this just huge (laughs) lumbering costume Oh, but it's, I mean, the story in itself is horrible. It's a horrible movie. But if you like makeup or like if you're a person who is going to school and studying how to do creature feature makeup, I mean, that is an amazing example. He, I mean, that predated Aliens. 
Mm. You know, oh, by man. a bunch of years. And I mean, yeah. that that was amazing too. All of the work in Aliens, insane. Mm. Yeah, but with this, you know, this movie concept art and things. Dead. And then I think they did, I think they did a couple more. They did just one more. They did a sequel, but of course the sequel is always worse than the original. So <laughs> whatever. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a close second with me. It's Pumpkinhead and um, American Werewolf in London for, for the makeup. Mm. I think fantastic. a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think with horror is one of those things where, you know, sort of different genres of, of film uh, have experiment with sort of different parts of things happening, you know. And one of the things with horror is, is the special effects makeup is that's almost the, the best horror films generally, you know, of, of that time are the ones that have usually got the most amount of budget invested into makeup. Because obviously with generally with action films or, you know, comedies or these sorts of things, Except maybe sci-fi, but sci-fi kind of teeters on the edge of horror a lot. Obviously, with films like Aliens and Predator and things like that, they are sci-fi horror. So, but some of the the makeup and things on these, it's it's like at the the top point. And obviously, when it comes to James Cameron being involved with it, it's just his obviously Alien, and then there's was obviously not up to him. That was really Scott, but then Aliens and that obviously franchise that went on and things. Some of the ideas that they get, the, the concept art that inspired so many different uh, works of horror. Now it, it's just. Yeah. Sometimes the concept art is always more impressive than some of the the things in the films itself. Like H.G. Geiger's work from uh, who obviously Betty spawned the idea of Alien and things. Some of his work is mental. It's incredible. Oh yeah, and I mean, you know, you you think about that that work that's monumental and incredible, and the reason why that work is so monumental and incredible is because you know the the original Frankenstein had to result. You know, they had to resort to creating a dummy that looked like Frankenstein so that they could perform the final stunt where they light the windmill on fire. Hmm. And so somebody just threw this dummy out of the top part of the windmill and it's stuck on one of the prongs on the windmill. So it starts going around and it, you know, it just falls limply. There's no way in hell that that's an actual person doing that. <laughs> I mean, nowadays if they remade it, it would be insane because hmm. it would look like an actual person. They would probably do, you know, green screen and like actually physically have somebody be thrown out of the top, you know, of the windmill. But, but yeah, I mean, makeup has come so, so far. I mean, you like, even if you stop and think about films like the exorcist, mm, yeah. I mean, that makeup that terrified that actress so much. I Linda Blair, mm -hmm. it terrified her so much that like she couldn't sleep. It was ridiculous. And, you know, she didn't really even have that much to do with a lot of the filming. Like, the the scene where like the they spew the pea soup yeah over every yeah i mean she wasn't part of that um she was part of the aftermath but she wasn't part of like the actual filming no yeah um, yeah yeah the crucifix scene the spider crawl like all that stuff she wasn't part of any of that and it mm. still scared the living shit out of her to the point where she needed counseling mm, yeah i heard that sort of thing and her. yeah and i mean you you know you think about horror movies today and like films like um you know Marianne and the strangers and i mean like i'm just trying to pull like random examples out of the air but like we're we're not even going for like physical horror anymore we're going for psychological horror now mm. i feel like the exorcist was really like a tipping point in terms of psychological horror because you know you had the exorcist you had rosemary's baby um you know films like that that really like got in your head mm. and after the movie you were like oh shit you know this you know this might actually happen to me it almost falls into the realm of urban legend, actually. It's kind of crazy. 
Oh. And that links with uh, Blair Witch. I mean, one of my favourite, if not my favourite horror okay. film ever is kind of like that film. Uh, obviously, uh, the sequel, I actually quite like the sequel, but the original is the best. It's like, you know, 90 odd minutes of, you know, if people haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's, they should have seen it by now. It's such a good I movie. Mean. It's it just, you sit there in the dark and silence for, you know, uh, 90 minutes or 80 minutes or whatever. And it just, it's such a thrill ride. And there's so little that happens. And it's all about... Yeah. The brilliance of that film is not seeing what's getting you. Because like with films right. like Nightmare on Elm Street that I do enjoy and, uh, you know, Friday the 13th, all these sort of, you know, they're kind of going to the realms of slasher in a sense. But like even that with Predator or Aliens, Alien it kind of is in the, on the borderline because when you can see what the thing is, mm. it takes away a lot of it because human imagination is yeah. what, you know, when you think of the Blair Witch when they're running away from things and stuff is happening to them, you're like, what the hell could that thing be? Whereas when it's like, you know, in Predator, if you've got Predator coming after you, it is terrifying. But it's not scary because you don't know what it is necessarily, except when he's got the camo, obviously. But generally when you see him for a thing, you're like, oh, it's a big humanoid thing with a gun. And that's what's mm-hmm. coming to get me. Yeah. When it's the unknown, that is what, when humans fill in the gap with their own mind, that's what's the most scary. Yeah, I mean, the Blair Witch Project had no budget. <laughs> no, no, it's it's literally like a few. It was, I think it's like thirty thousand or ninety thousand dollars. It was like under a hundred thousand, yeah. really small. Yeah, I mean there was there was absolutely nothing, and it was literally like a a bunch of people running around in the woods late at night screaming <laughs> and snotting all over a camera, which I still can't get that vision out of my head. But just her, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I know what you're about. God, you know, I whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean that that film i mean there there are people that think that that film was an actual thing mm, like that, yeah. that was a real thing and it actually happened and those people are actually dead <laughs> um but yeah i mean you know you think about films like cannibal holocaust and you know though i mean the the director purposefully told the actors that they had to not appear in public for like a year <laughs> and that guy got hauled into court because they saw the movie and they thought that he had killed all those people. Wow. So he got hauled into court. And in order to get out of the charges of multiple murders, he had to produce all of these people that had appeared in the movie. So he literally had to call them up and be like, dudes, um, you, you guys <laughs> got to get to the courthouse. Cause uh, I'm about to go to prison or like, you know, go to the chair or some shit. Cause this, you know, like it's not going to work out well. Um, so he produced the people and he was like, no, you know, like here, they're alive, you know, you're there or whatever, please don't arrest me. But yeah, I mean that, you know, there have been films that are so visually horrifying that, that, I mean, they have changed people for the worse. Um, Mm. the exorcist was one of them when it first premiered in cinemas, there were people that had complete mental breakdowns and like fainted. And I mean, like I watch that movie now and I don't get any of that, but I mean, I can understand way back when if you went to the cinema i mean it's like when they um they first premiered a film called the tingler and the tingler the tingler was like this large like earwig thing and every time the tingler would appear on screen or like be suggested that it was going to appear on screen some of the seats in the movie theater were actually rigged so that they would buzz oh my god and people lost their fucking minds i can imagine i mean of course they did But, that's what happened now. Well, right. But I mean, you know, the, the magic of cinema, right? Like, mm. <laughs> I mean, that you might amazing. shit your pants, but it'll be an amazing experience that you'll talk about for years. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. It's like yeah. there's 40 cinemas that do similar things like that. I remember when I was first in, uh, I think it was in Disney, Honey, I Shrunk My Kids. Oh, yeah. 
And it was just like, you know, going there and you're like, oh, honey, I shrunk the audience out. And then there's like, drop the rats and then it shoots behind oh, your yeah. legs. So, Jesus, well, you know, that's the thrill. Like, I, I love that sort of thing. I mean, and with, with horror movies and you get a good horror movie when it doesn't have to be like, you know, I like jump scares and I like some yeah. if they're done tastefully and they're the good ones. I mean, nowadays it's becoming so predictable in every horror film where the first jump scare is, a, is like a faux scare. You know, it's always like a bat or some sort of animal. Yeah. It's every time now and it's yeah. just like, come on. But, you know, general most horror films i do enjoy you know uh there's a lot of them which are good but there aren't that many that i found uh especially in recent ones that really really wowed me like there have been a few that i've really really enjoyed but generally it is horror for me is now changing and i've never been scared of gore or anything like that you know yeah. the saw films they're not scary to me or anything like that but they're not that's kind of film but it's it's interesting that horror as you say it, it has kind of it did do that change and it's now i, I yeah. wonder where horror is kind of going to start to sort of sort of go in a sense yeah i mean i don't know if you've seen hereditary yet with i have yet yeah. yeah i saw it in the cinema yeah i mean that like that blew my mind mm, i was like very this interesting is, this is really i mean i i don't want to give anything away mm, no of course that is newer um if you haven't mm. seen the Blair witch project they died <laughs> anyway <laughs> um but i mean oh man yeah i that affected me for like a solid week Mm. and i haven't had anything affect me that much mm, it was definitely it was done in such a masterful way and obviously not spoiling it but there's a bit with the classroom and that oh, bit God. where the with the desk and i was like that bit was up jeez so yeah. i am interested to see because there's horror films like like get out um which mm. have you seen get yeah yep. which is obviously that's not that was like scary, but that was a thrilling. It was a thriller, right. you know. And, yeah. and um, I know the director's made another film called Us, which I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like you know, there are certain gems that come up which are in, in modern in modern films. But now the, the market is so saturated, you know. I mean, I love yeah. bad horror films, love them. They're some of my favorite things. But there are so many, like so yeah. so many, yeah. and even ones you want to watch that are good, you go to the cinema and watch the top five movies of horror movies, and then half of them just aren't that good anyway. Yeah, well, and a lot of the newer, like, um, tomorrow I'm planning on going to see uh, Doctor Sleep. Oh, yeah, the Shining um, sequel. Yeah, I, I was such a huge fan of the original movie mm. um, that I was like, well, I have to I have to go see Doctor Sleep. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm going to be there. Um, so I'm going to go take that in tomorrow and, and see what I think of it. But, I mean, even if you're, even if you're talking about movies like The Shining, I mean... You know, the the people that they cast for that movie, not pointing any fingers, but certain people that they cast should not have been cast <laughs> in that movie. And it has a lot to do with the terrible acting with the bat towards the end on the staircase. Anyway, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, you know, it, we've just we've come such a long way from that. And I hope that horror movies will continue to be more psychological more twisted mm -hmm. um and also i hope that they take in more of like just everyday life mm. because life can be horrifying i mean if you think about you know the the film the strangers mm. it's just three people that come to this house and take these two people hostage i mean it can home invasions happen that's a real mm -hmm. thing that happens so I mean, even if you take concepts like that and spin them off into horror movies, I mean, I would watch the shit out of that stuff. Have you seen Eden Lake? Oh no, I haven't. That that's a cool film, which is it's it's a horror film where there's yeah, there's not necessarily 
it's not supernatural that's that's what i'll say about it it's, it's one of those sort of movies where it's people and i find that is some of the scariest to say like i'm not scared that freddy krueger is gonna go into my dreams and kill me and must that must sleep and i'm gonna die in real life right. i mean that's a really cool concept but you know it's probably one of the coolest concepts in cinema but as a film of being scary it, it doesn't scare me because it, it's not it's not real but obviously with Blair Witch one of the brilliance of that is you don't know what it is you could just go camping and something could come after you and you don't know what it is and it could just get you and that's that's one of the things a lot of the time with you know, death it's like you know you don't see it necessarily coming if it was that jet engine it just you're walking right. down the street I mean in my head it's a piano like I think of like yeah. the, the comedic just so much walking down the street it's a piano I just uh, too many like uh, old Looney Tunes cartoons I was going to say that's that. that's very wily Coyote of you <laughs> exactly what an anvil or something <laughs> but we're coming um, wrapping up near sort of uh, time now and it's getting late on my end so we'll start oh, sure. to wrap up a little bit but this, this has been an awesome chat I mean I didn't even glance at my notes even once so we're going to have to <laughs> definitely do this again talk about random crazy weird stuff yeah, um, but I don't know if there's anything you want to um add just at the, the final statement and then you can you know, plug all your uh shows and sites and etc um well if anybody is interested in becoming the fourth fan on the identity podcast <laughs> um you can find us on identity pod uh, dot podbean.com i'll include links um, and stuff to make sure yeah <laughs> if you're looking for uh me on twitter or instagram we're at identity pod if you would like to read my ramblings on my blog, it is um, identitypodcast.wordpress.com. That one actually might be wrong. I think I saw, I went on that earlier today. I think it might be that, but I can always, uh, I'll have all your links here uh, in the description for anyone who does want to find them oh, as well. No, here it is. So it's theidentitypodcast.wordpress.com. There we go. Um, and if anybody is listening and they want to send me like creepy, weird, paranormal shit that happened to them, um, I often create minisodes and I will share those experiences on the show um, with your permission. So um, you can send those to the identity podcast at gmail.com. Amazing. And um, also your uh, website. Um, it's a uh, Corvus review. Is that right? Um, yes. Corvus review is uh, not your grandma's lit mag. Um, if you want to send weird, creepy shit, um, you can send it to Korev, uh, Inc. at gmail.com, C-O-R-E-V-I-N-K, uh, at gmail.com. Um, I'm actually working on the, uh, December issue right now, drop December 1st. So that'll be available on the website. Um, but the submission window is always open and it is free to submit. So that's me like short stories and things, isn't it? Um, short stories, poetry, art. Yeah, basically, basically anything. I I don't really like the squishy stuff, like the romantic mm. stuff. Um, I steer away from religion and politics because I think that that's too messy. But pretty much everything else. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, that, that's absolutely fantastic. And um, yeah, I mean, as I said, I'll have to get you on the show again because it's been absolutely delightful just talking about some of the more macabre things. And um, yeah, I recommend everyone to go check out your podcast, and I'll include a link in the description and things. But um, thank you so much, Judy, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you so much for having me. And, um, you know, I mean, just to, just to kind of check out, I have to say what I always say, and that is stay spooky. Wonderful. Thank you very much. <laughs> have a good one. And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, guys. Uh, be sure to go give Janine Mercer and the Odd Entity podcast all of your love. Um, as you could hear, great person to chat with, and her podcast is amazing, too. So, you know, be sure to go check that out. 
Um, coming up, I've got two podcasts recorded at the moment. Uh, they're both only an hour long, so quite easy. Uh, not like a part one and part two jobby like this one was. Um, one's with a gentleman called uh, John Vespasian, and I always pronounce his surname wrong, so I do apologise for that, John, if you are listening. Uh, and the other individual is called Tracy Maxfield. Uh, so both of them are very interesting people. They're both authors. Um, John is about sort of making yourself better using history as a way of sort of teaching yourself in a very layman's way of putting it. Uh, he's a really really interesting guy uh, and then with Tracy she speaks about sort of mental health bullying and the sort of state of affairs at the moment with mental health so both of them very interesting people don't know which one I'm going to release next I've got a chat with a gentleman on Monday as well who is also a podcaster I believe so three people very interesting all in different ways they're going to be coming up uh once i've had the record once i've recorded the episode with the gentleman on monday i will talk about it a bit more um after that i'm i think i've got one more episode uh, due for recording with someone else and then i'm going to try and do it as a month by month basis rather than having things ridiculously ridiculously far planned out because uh people seem to pull out if it's too far in advance and then it means i have no social life for like ages because i've overplanned myself so trying to kind of take each month as it comes a little bit uh you know, February is coming up and I'm not entirely busy the whole of February, which is a first. So trying to do all that sort of jazz. Um trying to keep up with social media and things, mainly Instagram and things. But I try and post every day, but it's such a ball ache if I'm being completely honest with you. Like I like sharing my work and I like doing movie reviews and I like showing people my life, but trying to make sure I write a lot of hashtags and do this, that and the other is is a pain. And I'm I'm not really one to just see something cool and share on social media every time. Like it's not I'm not it's not really my nature I'm, I'm not that into social media in a sense i don't i don't see something cool post it and immediately want to put it on instagram all the time uh so I, i'm trying to do that a bit more but you know instagram's still the best place to find me uh go on there then you can see my story which is normally videos of my little tortoise who is a little baby she's only like nine months old and she's called wicket and currently as of today i've got her brother staying with me who my mum owns um so i've got two baby tortoises uh which is very cute um yeah, I don't know what else is there to mention, really. Uh, I'm still doing a little comics motion-y thing, which I will be doing, but that's probably not going to be out till sort of end of February. Um, there's not much else, really, and I'm not going to go into a big rambly mess like I normally do at the end, so I'm going to nip it in the bud quickly. <laughs> Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. Share if you can, show people, and if it's your first time checking the podcast out, go check out the back catalogue. You've got countless episodes to sink your teeth into and probably eventually get sick of my voice. <laughs> that's how I feel. And I'm sure that's how a lot of my friends feel about it as well. So talk to you guys in a bit. I appreciate each and every one of you and I hope you all have a great week.